This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 23. Last week we learned that one of the themes of the New Testament is becoming more like Christ. We want to become imitators of our Savior's character, love, and fidelity. Jesus has something to say about that in today's passage. He offers practical steps towards a Christ-filled life. Of utmost importance is possessing true salvation, genuine conversion, and authentic devotion. This is just one way to describe the discipleship process, but it's also true discipleship that leads to true Christ-likeness. Today we get four more steps that turn woeful wannabes into Christ-like believers. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read verses 23 through 33. This is what he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If I had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets." So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of death? In church, that's the time we say ouch instead of amen because of the harsh words of Christ to these guys. But like we did with the first three woes, we're going to use the remaining four as guides to let us know not only what provokes the anger of Christ, but also how we can draw near to Him and live Christ-filled lives, because that is the purpose here. We understand what He doesn't like and what He condemns so that we stay away from it and we adjust our lives accordingly. So let's talk about steps toward a Christ-filled life. We started with three, the fact that we must possess true salvation, promote genuine conversion, and practice authentic devotion. Now we're going to talk about four more. Now according to verses 23 through 24, we're going to learn to preserve godly aspiration. Godly aspiration, your desires, what you want to accomplish, that needs to be godly according to this woe here. Now the scribes and Pharisees practiced and promoted a false religion that produced unbalanced spirituality. That's the key to understanding this first woe here. This is an unbalanced spirituality. Because according to Jesus, they placed an exaggerated emphasis on produce tithing And if you don't know what tithing is, it's giving 10% of your income, in this case, the produce here, to the ministry. 
And that was described in Leviticus 27, verse 30, for Israel. This is what that text says. All of the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, and of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So uh, the intention is good that these guys had. They wanted to honor the Lord in every aspect of their spiritual lives. But the problem here is that they applied this verse to household spices, but they failed to demonstrate the virtues that the Mosaic law teaches. And Jesus names them mercy, justice, and faithfulness that are fundamental and will guide every spiritual discipline of the believer, including the tithe. So what Jesus is saying is, you are majoring in the minors. You should pay attention to justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these virtues here that the law teaches, and let that guide your spiritual discipline here. Because God is not interested in your money. He wants to know where your heart is. So the modern example of that would be the church member who supports the ministry with every source of income, including a tax return, for example, or investment gains, but at the same time mercilessly assassinates the character of his brothers and, and sisters in Christ. Well, that, that again, that, that is an unbalanced view of ministry. That's an unbalanced religious life that Jesus really condemns here. That's what prompts a woe from Jesus Christ. But the point is that we should never neglect God's rhetorical question in Micah 6, verse 8, for example. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? You see, we need to adjust from time to time our lives here and put things in the right perspective so that we are avoiding this type of unbalanced spiritual life. And all of us are prone to do that, your pastor included. We constantly have to be in Scripture and say, Lord, what is it exactly that you want me to major in? Because I don't want to major in the minors. I don't want to pay attention and spend a lot of energy on something that is not what I'm supposed to be spending time and attention on. Now, Christ explained the condition of these Pharisees and scribes here using a figure of speech. And he talks about a gnat and a camel swallowing a camel. What is this all about? Now, we are literalists. We interpret the Bible literally. What we mean by that is that we don't ignore the figures of speech because we use figurative language all the time. For example, when I tell you, man, I haven't seen you in a thousand years. That's obviously a figure of speech. The point that Jesus is making here is this. The scribes and the Pharisees wanted to avoid ceremonial defilement at all costs. They said, well, we, we are not going to be defiled. We're not going to let anything into our bodies that is defiled. Jesus already addressed this to them when he says, well, it's not what goes into your mouth that is the problem. It's what comes out because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. So there were gnats around that area. There were, these are insects. The Bible calls these insects in Leviticus 11, verse 23, winged insects detestable to you. Some of them would land on grapes. And for that reason, when they were preparing their drinks, their wine, they would strain the grape juice there with a cloth to prevent the gnats from going in. Not, not because of being sanitary reasons, but because they don't want to be ceremonially defiled. The problem is they did that, but they ignored the greater things. They committed greater blunders because a camel was also a defiled animal, a ceremonially unclean animal to eat. So Jesus is saying, man, you're taking care of the gnats, but you're missing out here. You're eating the camel. You're avoiding the insect, but you're eating the camel. Pay attention. You're majoring in the minors. If Jesus lived today, he probably would have said, you need to keep the main thing the main thing. So we should continue to serve him with excellence in every aspect of our spiritual life. Tithing, regular church attendance, of course, Bible reading, praying, and etc. But not 
at the expense of the fundamentals, the very reason why we're doing these things. We want to honor God because he expects from us justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he will equip us to demonstrate those. But let's move on to the next step toward a Christ-filled life here. It's the next woe in the list here. Number two in our list today. Verses 25 through 26. Prefer legitimate transformation. Jesus continues to use figurative language here, but this time he invoked a different image. Now he's using the image of a cup and a plate. But in the illustration that these were shiny on the outside only. And that was the problem because he is condemning the pharisaical obsession with looking pious and looking spiritual for the admiration of other people. That's the point. There's nothing wrong with wanting to put on a a good face to demonstrate the joy of the Lord. Sometimes you really have to have the discipline for that. Many of us here, pastor included, sometimes appear in church and everything is not okay. You don't have life put together. There are things that are troubling you and we all go through this. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I want my face to demonstrate the, the joy of the Lord. The problem here is that in the metaphor that Jesus is using here, it would be silly to serve a stolen meal in those plates. And that is what he's saying. You are full of robbery and self-indulgence. It would be the same as for you young guys who want to propose to your fiance and you want to give her a beautiful diamond ring, but that diamond ring is stolen from a jewelry. You see, the thoughtfulness does not justify the crime. And that is what Jesus is condemning here. The filth inside represented robbery and self-indulgence. And we know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Because the scribes and the Pharisees robbed people. No, not, not of money. They didn't go and say, give me your wallet or anything like that. But they robbed people, for example, of legitimate conversion. Look at uh, verse 15 when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. When he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. So in other words, you are robbing people the opportunity of going to the kingdom of heaven because you are deceiving them. You are outside yourselves and you are pretending to be the gatekeepers. And Jesus is saying you are robbing people of a legitimate relationship with God because you don't have it yourselves. Same thing in verse 13, it says you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You are robbing people the opportunity to get to know God. You're doing the exact opposite of what God expects you to do. The people who drank and ate from those metaphorical dirty cups and plates also became filthy inside because uh, this is what they're consuming from their supposed spiritual leaders. Now, almost all of us here have had the unpleasant experience, I'm sure, of spotting food debris from previous patrons in restaurants. And we ask for a clean vessel because the whole thing makes us sick. Now, how much more sickening is it to be fed the soul-nourishing Word of God from someone whose life is filled with iniquity, filled with sin, filled with hypocrisy? And that is the problem of these guys here. Jesus is saying, you claim to be feeding the people the Word of God, but in reality, you're giving them filth. You're giving them bad food. And before you conclude prematurely here, church, that, well, it's not my calling. I don't teach the Bible. Therefore, I'm off the hook. I don't need to take care of cleaning my own plate, so to speak. That is a premature conclusion. I'll tell you why. Remember the sixth beatitude that Jesus spoke on a sermon, in a sermon on the mount here, Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if you're a believer in Christ, your heart has already been purified by God because you have a new heart now. You were born again. The problem is our flesh craves sin, does it not? We all run towards it. 
Like Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? I mean, even the Apostle Paul struggled with the flesh and the spirit here. So that is our dilemma here. And it is a good exercise for us to constantly ask God to clean our hearts. Lord, is, is there anything in my heart that doesn't honor you? Is there bitterness in my heart? Is there someone that I refuse to forgive in my heart? Am I thinking impure thoughts? Am I desiring things that you don't want me to desire? And obviously, when we are believers in Christ, our temptation to keep appearances will trouble us so much that we will seek a more mature believer in Christ. And you'll say, brother or sister, I need your help. I need your help cleaning the inside of this vessel here. I, again, I, I have an unforgiving spirit. I have envy in my heart. I have bitterness. I'm overly critical. I have resentment, lust, whatever it is. I'm struggling with this. That's a good sign. It's a sign that you are not like the Pharisees and the scribes. It's a sign that you are concerned about what's the inside and you want to honor God. So keep it up. Look at verse 26. Jesus attaches a command to this woe here. Because it's, he says, first clean up the inside. Now he's educating the listeners about the proper order of sanctification. By the way, that process of cleaning the inside of the proverbial cup or the plate is called sanctification. It's the fact that we are constantly walking towards Christ's likeness. Paul talks about this in Philippians when he says, God began a good work in our hearts and he will carry it on until the day of Christ. So it's a progressive aspect of sanctification here. So he says, first clean up the inside. In other words, don't worry about the outside first. That'll take care of itself later. You want to get rid of the dirty language? Clean up the heart. You want to get rid of looking at pornography on your phone? Clean up the heart first. Because heart transformation will lead to behavior modification. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. Now, there are too many unconverted, counterfeit Christians that populate every church. And that's the case here of these guys. They were not converted. They were fake believers, counterfeit. They were not the real deal. They look and sound like the real deal. And they take advantage of the fact that no one knows what's in their heart except God alone. So what do they do? Well, l l let me put on a facade. Let me fake everything here so that people will think that I'm real spiritual. They will follow me and that will make me feel good. Jesus is saying, woe to you. Don't do that. Clean up the inside first. Focus on your own heart first. Clean the heart first, and then your desires will be sanctified. Which, by the way, leads me to the next step toward a Christ-filled life, according to the woes of Passion Week, verses 26 through 28. Pursue real sanctification. God enlists a different figure of speech, different image here. Although the idea is the same. When he talks about whitewashed tombs, what is that all about? Again, remember the context. This is during Passion Week. This is significant because, again, in a few days, Jesus is going to be crucified. But during this week here, a lot of pilgrims were visiting Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And what the scribes and the Pharisees used to do, that in preparation for the Passover feast, they would clean all of these tombs and, and even decorate them and adorn them so that they would look beautiful. Again, there's nothing wrong with that act. The problem is that they did that in order to warn people to avoid stepping on them accidentally and become defiled. Now, the book of Numbers, chapter 19, verse 16, specifies to us that everyone who in the open field touches one who has been slain with a sword or who has died naturally or a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. And you can't be unclean, according to the Pharisees, because they will, oh, oh, talk about cleanliness here. Let's whitewash the tombs and paint them, make them look good so that people can see and avoid them. Again, 
If the intention of the heart is fine, there's no problem there. But what Jesus is saying here, do not forget that that tomb has a corpse inside. Don't forget that you're cleaning the outside, but you don't even pay attention to the stench of death that's inside. There is a decomposing body inside of that thing. And unless you get rid of that body, your whole emphasis on being unclean doesn't count. That's the illustration. What he's saying is your hearts are filled with sin, the stench of death, the fact that you commit adultery in your own heart, he says. Oh, you, you don't pull the trigger, but you murder people when you hate them. When you speak evil about them. In church, we all do this. We're all murderers at heart. Have you ever spoken badly about someone behind their backs? Then you're a murderer at heart, and so am I. And what Jesus is saying is, we need to address this. You're focused on the outside, but don't forget, there's a decomposing body inside that you need to take care of that. Again, the same idea when Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? Now, the analogy fits perfectly with the hypocritical life of these guys that were so concerned with the outside, so concerned with appearing good. And they wanted people to look at them and say, wow, what a perfect specimen of religiosity. I want to be like that. But Jesus says, no. And here's the irony from the mouth of Jesus. And you study the law, talking about the scribes. They were, they were copyists of the law, but you are filled with lawlessness. Because they missed mercy, justice, and faithfulness. In other words, these were the people who copied the law from one manuscript to the other, but the law never made it to their heart. And Jesus says, consider the irony of this. You are filled with lawlessness. Now, this is not the reality of true believers in Christ. So if you are a true believer in Christ, Paul says this about you in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's the exact opposite. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, we're not so much preoccupied with the outside because we know that the outside is decomposing by the day. Don't believe me. Look at your pictures from 15 years ago, and you will conclude rightfully that the outside of this body is decomposing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And the reason for that, church, is because what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ. At the moment we came to faith in Christ, we died to the world. We were crucified with Christ, and yet it's no longer I who live, he says, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. In other words, remove the corpse from your spiritual life and let the light of Christ shine through a transparent person. Forget about whitewashing the tomb. Focus on the renewal that God is doing in your heart day by day. Therefore, we will take then another step toward a Christ-filled life when we stop obsessing with appearances and let the majesty of the gospel shine through our transparent lives. Let's talk about the last one here, the last step toward a Christ-filled life. Number four in our list, number seven in the overall list. Prevent sure condemnation, verses 29 through 33. Now, Jesus ups the game now in the strong language department here. He, he is calling them viper, brood of vipers. Now, apparently, the scribes and the Pharisees decorated the tombs, and they also erected monuments to the heroes of the faith. And again, the reason for them doing this, according to what Jesus accuses them here, is to parade their own self-righteousness. Because they would do this and say, I would never commit that same crime. I would never commit that sin in church. That is what we hear the most here. If you're in ministry and you're involved in any... I hear this from time to time. Oh, that sin is terrible. 
What that person did is terrible. I would never do that. Yes, you would. And if you think you wouldn't, you're going to step on a spiritual banana peel and fall on your face. Somebody else's sin is always worse than yours, right? The problem is, Jesus says, that is exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. We would never kill the prophets. Really. You're plotting the death of Christ. They're like the people who say today, I would never have joined a mob in calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. It's really to say this when you're in your living room reading your Bible. Now, it's another thing to be there when you're watching people getting whipped by the Roman soldiers. So, Jesus clarifies that his opponents come from the same spiritual lineage of those murderous people from the past. For example, Jezebel. The book of 1 Kings chapter 18 talks about her. She destroyed the prophets of the Lord. So this is not a biological lineage. This is a spiritual lineage that Jesus is talking about. Says, you belong to that ancestry here. The same rebellion, the same hypocrisy, the same unbelief drove them to murder the prophets. And Jesus says, don't tell me. You would never do that because in your hearts already, you are planning to murder Christ. And you can't love God and hate Christ. I mean, it's the same thing you tell me you love me and you hate my, my child. That doesn't work. I don't believe you when you do that. It's the same thing with God. You can't say, I love God, but I hate Christ. And check this out. You can't say you love God, but you hate Christians. Because Christians are the object of God's love. We're the apple of his eye. Now, none of us are perfect. Some of us require a little more loving grace than others. But the point is, you can't say you love God if, Lord, I love you. I just can't stand your people. Or I love Christ, just his followers that I don't like. Check out verse 32. There's a strange command here. By the way, circle that verse, that, that fill up. That's a command that Jesus says here. Fill up, then the measure of your cup. Again, another illustration with the cup. Now, what does it mean here? First of all, he, he's given them permission to crucify him. He says, fill up the measure of your guilt. In other words, you're already planning to crucify me. Go ahead and do it. Now, the idea here is that there is a measure of iniquity and sin that God will tolerate. After that, only judgment comes. Now, the love of God endures forever. The Bible says this very clearly. His patience does not. His forbearance does not. His long-suffering does not. Ask Noah and his contemporaries, and you will know that answer. His patience does have a limit, and these guys here were about to top that off. The reason for that, church, is because they have seen Christ. They interacted with Jesus. They heard him speak. They saw the miracles. They were the generation who had the indescribable blessing of witnessing with their own eyes the life of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ himself, and interact with them. And yet they said, no, I don't believe you. We're going to kill you. Jesus says, you're topping off the forbearance of God. The only solution for you then is wrath, he says. But thankfully, church, God is driven by mercy and grace. He warns people over and over against that danger of topping off the forbearance and the patience of God. For example, through Isaiah, he writes in Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Although they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And through Ezekiel, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die? In church, we are the voice of Christ to the world outside who is dying because they reject Christ. And he uses us to be the communicators of his mercy. And we say to people, why will you die? 
Why will you reject Christ and not make it to heaven because of the hardness of your heart? I'm not signing you up for church. I'm telling you how to be saved. Because God is merciful. He has commended us to do that. Look at what else Jesus says. Unless you believe in me that I am he, you will die in your sins. In church, we get to echo God's plea, God's merciful plea for sinners. Now, that generation of scribes and Pharisees lost it because they have topped off their measure of their guilt. But that's not the case for a lot of people that are still alive today. If you are yet to come to faith in Christ, I urge you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God today. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Why will you die in your sins? The Father poured out the consequence of your guilt into His Son. How could you pass up on such a deal like this? He takes your guilt and you take His life. Come to Christ before it's too late. It's an urgent matter. It's something you need to take care of today. Now, we know the answer to Christ's rhetorical question in verse 33. How will you escape the sentence of hell? This is a rhetorical question. He doesn't need an answer. But we know the answer to that question. Because those of us who are in Christ, we have escaped the sentence of hell. Because he drank the cup that belongs to us. The cup of our guilt. And therefore, I can't think of anything more loving, more gracious, more honoring to God than to tell other people. He saved a wretch like me. He can save you too. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time... This is Truth with Grace.